look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, where I break down almost everything about football and other things in life as well. We've got a very different podcast today. This is after week one of the NFL season, entering a very, very interesting New England at Jacksonville, Cleveland at New Orleans, Philly at the Explosive Bucks. There's a lot of interesting games, but I'm sorry, we're not going to talk about any of that today. We are going to talk about the future of gambling in the NFL with my good friend Chad Millman, who is the chief content officer of the Action Network, where, honestly, I don't really know what it is, but I am going to actually look it up when I leave here today. Um, But Chad is going to explain everything that you need to know about the NFL's future with gambling, and also he's going to ridicule me, I think, uh, because I have no clue what all of these weird terms in gambling mean. And also, we're going to be joined by Bart Starr Jr. um, of Birmingham, Alabama, son, obviously, of Bart Starr, the first real Super Bowl hero in NFL history, the first two MVPs uh, of Super Bowls in NFL history, Bart Starr, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I went down and spent a day with their family and met Bart for a story that I did for NBC's Football Night in America show this past Sunday. Really hope you got to see it. It's about the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and Bart Starr. Even though they're separated by 50 years, Starr is 84, uh, Starr Sr. is 84, Aaron Rodgers 34, they really have a lot in common. Um, and they have a very, very good relationship. So anyway, I'm going to talk to Bart Jr. about that relationship. And what I'm going to do, and the reason I did this, and, and, and you have to pardon me, because my recording equipment that I used, I basically use my iPhone. And so my recording equipment is not good because I didn't anticipate that I was going to record him for my podcast. So I apologize in advance for a recording sound quality that isn't very good, but I really, really enjoyed the conversation uh, with Bart Starr Jr. talking about growing up in Green Bay, talking about having Bart Starr for a dad, talking about his dad today. Bart Starr Sr. suffered a, a debilitating stroke. Uh, Four years ago, he's got a disease called aphasia, which makes speaking and understanding and actually doing anything with the English language a real chore. Uh, It's the disease that afflicts Paul Zimmerman, my former comrade at SI, um, and Paul has it a lot worse than Bart does. But but anyway, I, I, I just really loved the conversation that I had with Bart Jr., and so I wanted you to hear that. And I hope I'm not boring you by giving you uh, a gambling expert and the son of the greatest player in football 50 years ago. But I just wanted to do something a little bit different this week because I'm fascinated not only by the future of gambling in the NFL, but also I'm fascinated by Bart Starr's life and Bart Starr Jr.'s life. So... Before we get too far into our podcast, let's go to our first conversation. Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network, and he's going to talk about how cool it is that he has a job where he can talk about things like the VIG and the spread and the over-under every day of his life. Back on the Peter King Podcast, you know, I'm happy to be joined today, this week, to tell me about things that I have absolutely no idea about. Uh, It's about gambling. I truly don't know because I think it's foolish to bet on the NFL um, because I just think it's impossible. But anyway, um, 
we have the chief content officer for the Action Network. His name is Chad Millman. Chad is the former uh, uh, editor of ESPN, the magazine. He did that for five years. Then he was the editorial director of ESPN Digital for a couple of years. And then he got hired to basically run the Action Network, uh, which is a, um, a sort of a, a content place to learn everything you need to know about gambling and sports and sports betting. So anyway, Chad, thank you for coming in. You left out the most important part of my resume. What is the what is that? Fact-checking your column for about three <laughs> years when I got out of college. Hey, sometimes life is fun that way, isn't it? It was honest to God. You also, you also <laughs> don't remember, not only when we, we lived two blocks from each other in Montclair, New Jersey, yeah. but you wrote me a recommendation when I bought an apartment in Manhattan in the mid-90s. Uh, I needed a recommendation for the co-op board from my office. You wrote me the recommendation. I did? You did. Did you get it? I got it. All right. And by the way, I had no business getting it. I had, <laughs> I had no money. Like, I had no idea how I got this Well, apartment. you're a confident person. Yeah. You know, it, you it just a, sort of feel... It was I, a sell I job. Always felt like I always felt like when I was around you, Chad's here, good things are going to happen. Well, you're the, you're, so you're the one. <laughs> anyway, so... I want you to not only preach the gospel of the Action Network, which I, I honestly could care less about gambling, <laughs> but but I but the reason why I I thought it would be great to have you on is because I realize that gambling is going to be important in the next few years in the NFL, in the next few weeks in the NFL. You see Jerry Jones making a deal with a big casino yeah. in the Southwest. You see, and so I, I guess. I would just start by asking you, where is all this going, do you think, with the NFL and gambling? I think that one day, probably in the next, say, four to six years, gambling becomes legal nationwide. Right now, you're seeing states decide that they want gambling. That's what the Supreme Court has said, is that they're overruling the, federal, the legislation that banned states from being allowed to offer sports betting. Um, I think you're going to see over the next few years the government and the federal government get involved in sports betting and say, okay, it's legal everywhere. Everyone can decide how they want to attack it. Um, I think it's the easiest to regulate when it's in that space. And more importantly, for the Jerry Jones of the world, I think it's easier for everybody to make money. It's easier for the bigger media companies to make money because all of a sudden there's a much bigger pool of people who have legal access to getting into sports betting. You know what I mean? So, you know, in other words, it's not all offshore crap where people have to do it a little bit on the QT. No, it's more like right now you can do it in Nevada. You can do it in Mississippi. You can do it in New Jersey. You can do it in Delaware. Like states are legal legalizing it one by one. And that's if great. I live in New Jersey right now, can I go online and bet? Yes. You can, huh? Yes. I can go online and bet on NFL games if I live in the state of New Jersey. You, but if I live in New York, you can't, I can't do that. Nope. You How cannot. does your computer know that you're in New York? Geolocation. Oh. Very, honestly, it's like a, there are entire businesses that are developing, uh, that have really developed already, that are jumping into this space to take advantage of the fact that you need to geofence what you are doing when it comes to sports betting. Like, so I was at a conference in November of last year about sports betting here in the city in Manhattan. And um, there were half a dozen people there from companies that represent geolocation services. So if you own a sports book and you are regulated in the state of New Jersey, you are making sure that you're following those particular set of rules. Are, is there also a geolocation company that is trying to sell you something that can mask where you are operating from and could say that instead of, hey, I'm on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, but instead I could say, oh, no, I'm in Hoboken? God, that is a great question. Uh, those things kind of already exist. Uh, I don't know how much people are using sort of servers to route 
their location, right. to reroute their location. I do know that with a lot of professional bettors who don't live in Nevada, for a long time, they have sort of figured out how to use servers that somehow land in Canada and get connected to the offshore books so they have better access to uh, what's happening uh, outside of the regulated markets. I'm going to tell you a story of why I think betting on football is totally fruitless, and then I want you to tell me why I'm full of it. Okay. So uh, King family vacation this year, all right? We were in, we went out to Lake Tahoe. Laura, who you used to know yeah, when yeah. she was little, Laura just had her 35th birthday. Oh, my God. Laura is in Singapore right now on assignment with Twitter. She's got a big job with Twitter now. Uh, but anyway, so Laura... Uh, and her wife, Kim, and their son, Freddie, came. Mary Beth and her boyfriend, Nick, came. They live in Seattle. Laura lives in San Francisco. And Ann and I went out to Tahoe when we stayed in, in Truckee for a week. We got a house. It was fantastic. It was so much fun. So I had to drive somebody back to the airport in Reno. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? Right next to the airport in Reno, there's a big casino. It's got a sports book. I said, I'm going to stop into the sports book for 10 minutes, and I'm going to put a bet on something. It was in the middle of the World Cup, and I kind of liked uh, Croatia, okay? But uh, I ended up not betting on anything, you know, with the World Cup. But I, I picked up, and I looked at all the NFL over-unders. And I'm looking at it, and I said... I mean, I looked at all 32 teams, I, and, I, I, and I felt okay. I forget, like the Patriots were, I don't know what they were, maybe 10 and a half or 11. I forget what they were. And I said, oh, that's not a bad one. But I didn't, I truly didn't feel strongly about any one. And the way I've gambled in my life, I'm positive that no matter what I bet on, it would have been wrong, you know, because I'm just bad at that. And I said to myself, you know, if I don't really, I didn't feel good about any single NFL team, the over and under, not a single one. And so I, I just, I put the thing down and I walked out of the casino and I got back and they said, hey, what did you bet on? And I said, nothing. I just, I said, I almost bet on the Red Sox game tonight, but baseball's the dumbest thing in the world to bet on. But so I guess, I guess I would ask you, I mean, there's so much information out there about football and so much of it is kind of closely guarded and, 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 you know, you don't find out a lot of the real truth. So I'll ask you this. Do you think it's possible to regularly make money betting on the NFL? So short answer is yes. Um, long answer. Number one, it frightens me that Laura is 35 years old. Yeah. Because, no joke, the first time I ever spoke to a class, you dragged me out to Montclair, New Jersey to speak to her fifth grade class. Yeah. <laughs> Number one. Number two, uh, we do a podcast actually in this building um, called The Favorites, and I'll do it three times a week. And on the podcast, we will do very th three different things. Number one, we will go through what is probably the answer, the real answer to your question, which is examine these games not from a, all right, what do I think as a fan perspective, but what do I think of it from a market perspective? I only look at betting uh, the same way that people look at stocks. Is this game overpriced or is this game underpriced or is this game priced correctly? And then you take your analysis and the next level of that, which we talk a lot on the favorites as well, is what are the stats that I'm going to think about that are most important to me that show a level of consistency in the way the game is played? Find the signal and the noise, basically. Give, give, me, give so me an example. I'm going to give like, you an example. Yeah. So yards per play. Yards per play for betters is the stat that so many people pay attention to because it shows that this is a team, no matter what the final score was over the course of a game, they were able to consistently either move the ball or consistently stop the ball or they consistently didn't move the ball, right? And so we have a few we have a feature every week in the Action Network where we sort of look at the box scores and say, this score was misleading. This is what you had to pay attention to. And that's how you start to get a feel for but how are good you a betting, team is. Are, are you betting, like, when you talk about that, are you 
are you using that information to bet on a game? Yes. Or are you using that information to make in-game bets about whether about about certain plays? No, you're using that information to bet on a game and to bet on a team and on a side. And so that's one way you look at it, right? The other way you look at it is bookmakers make their point spreads based on now forget it you you were talking about season win totals in the beginning i'm taking that off the table that is a one time you either like something or you don't like it's hard to really predict what those are going to be um bookmakers maybe post like two or three numbers that are way off and the rest are it's impossible to know i personally don't play season win totals because i don't really feel like there's a lot of value in those so what you do is on a week-to-week basis understand that when bookmakers create the point spreads they're really thinking about what is the public perception of this team. New England Patriots are always going to have a point spread that is much, much higher than probably what the real value of the game is, right? For example, this weekend, the game opened, uh, they're playing Jacksonville. On the road, the Patriots opened as one and a half point, one and a half point favorites on the road at Jacksonville. Like, That's insane. It's the, insane. Which do you think, it, what, what do you think is insane about it? I think I think the Patriots ought to be dogs this weekend. I agree with you. And so, but here's the thing. The Patriots just beat up the Texans. The Texans were getting... They didn't a, altogether beat up the Texans. Well, but, but here's yeah, the point. Yeah. That's what the public thinks. Right. You look at that game, you look at that box score. I know, you're trying to find 50 people who bet on one side, 50 people who bet on the other side. No, I get it. as a bookmaker, you're not really. Like, as you're a bookmaker, not? you want to take a side. Like, you might make a little bit of money if you take the juice, but you're making a ton of money if you pick the right side. I know plenty of bookmakers who are willing to take a side. Plenty of bookmakers this weekend were willing to take the Browns because, again, like, you look for scenarios. Bookmakers shade the line towards the teams that are popular, right? The Steelers are more a popular team than the Browns. So the Steelers were big favorites on the road at Cleveland. Historically, what was the line in that game? It opened at six and a half. It closed at about three and a half. Because when Le'Veon Bell was out, it started moving in the direction yeah. of the Browns. Here's the thing, and this is why you want to bet the Jaguars, and this is why I have already bet the Jaguars. Like on Sunday night, I saw this line at one and a half. I bet the Jaguars. Road favorites tend not to cover at a higher rate. So the public doesn't know that the Patriots are less likely to cover as a road favorite, but bookmakers do, and they're still going to put the line where they put it because the public is going to bet on the Patriots no matter what. So you're looking for advantages in the market. You're not necessarily thinking which team is better. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, it does make sense. Uh, but but I, I can tell you this. I won't be remotely surprised if the Patriots win the game. Of course not. But But I would say this. I think anybody who really knows football a little bit would say that f- there's a lot of factors that would point me in the direction of Jacksonville uh, in this game, mostly, I'd say mostly, having to do with the fact that they can do w- even better than what Houston can do in terms of making it hot for Brady. And they will figure out ways that I think Houston couldn't figure out, that if Brady is going to throw the ball in 2.0 seconds or less, they will figure out ways, um, I think, up the middle to get to Brady that that Houston didn't do. Like, they, Houston thought they could get to Brady by going around the edge. Like, J.J. Watt, if I were, if I were uh, you know, if I were Romeo Cornell, I would have, I'm not saying I would have played J.J. Watt consistently at nose tackle, but I would have played him inside a lot in that game because I know that from the outside you're not going to have enough time to get to Brady, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I would, I, I guess my point is, or my, my biggest question is, how do you think the change in the gambling laws, if any way, is going to change the NFL? I don't think it changes it at all. Just makes more money. That's really it. Um, Jerry Jones is going to make more money. Bob Kraft. How much money will Jerry Jones make out of that casino? What in Oklahoma, right? That I have no idea. Like yeah. I, I don't know what like what the it's that's just a marketing deal, right? right? So I don't really know. But like at the end of the day, the NFL, if nothing else, has proven it is brilliant at monetizing its product. And don't you also think that because look, I'm also in the TV business now. My first thought when this ruling came down in the spring was that here's how it helps the NFL week 13 Cincinnati at Cleveland three and nine versus two and 12 or whatever, you know, two and 10. Uh, 
And who in the world cares a whit about this game? Nobody, except now people will care about the game because they can bet it. Maybe there will be some in-game things that they can bet on. And so the TV networks are going to love it because not necessarily because that game will get this huge audience, but it will keep an audience better instead of automatically assuming that someone will say, I have no interest in this game whatsoever. Now they're going to have a gambling-related interest in this game. So here's my thought on that. Two things. One, the second part of your point about the in-game opportunities and being legal and NBC having an opportunity to incorporate that into the broadcast, at some point when it's more broadly legal and the NFL has figured out what its opportunities are, 100% agree with that. The first part of it is there was already an audience that was interested in Cincinnati and Indianapolis in week 13 because gambling was a $400 billion business before the Supreme Court decided that the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act was illegal. So it's a fallacy for anybody to say, oh my God, gambling is legal now. This is horrible for the sport. We have to protect the integrity of the game. It's crap because it was already happening. It's been happening literally for 70 years. But, it, but if, it's, if it's easier now and it's- Peter, and it's how hard is it for me? I have two apps on my phone that I can make a bet in less than 10 seconds. And I've been able to do that for years. And there have been the reason why sports betting is legal today is because for the past 20 years, there has been a perfect storm of data being democratized, of it being of sports betting becoming something that everybody who follows fantasy football and everybody who understands sort of the money ball ethos in sports and the sort of popularization of what Michael Lewis wrote about in Moneyball and with the A's, everyone now thinks that they can make, take advantage of games themselves. It's not about who do you root for. It's about the opportunity that you have to win yourself. Okay. And so for the past 20 years, that is what's been happening. There's a generation of fans who've been able to bet every single day on the internet. They're not thinking, oh, this is wrong. They're not thinking about the eight different sort of routes that that bet has to take to get from their computer to some offshore book in Costa Rica going through China. They're only thinking, hey, I want to bet on the Colts as, as three-point favorites over the Bengals this weekend. Here's my 20 bucks. I pressed the button. Here I go. And that's it. So like the idea that it's easier now is not really true. It's never been easier. It's only going to be more accessible to an audience that wouldn't have done it because they don't like to do things that are illegal. Okay. So does it matter? Does it matter that the it's The legalization legal? of it. Is it, is totally it going matters. to make it more wide widely accepted? Is it going to make it more widespread? Do you think more people are going to gamble on football now than they did in 2017? Uh, I don't think they will. I think there will be incrementally more people gambling in 2018 than there were in 2017, because don't forget, there's bigger conversation happening than there is the actual business yet, right? So like it's legal in five states, six states, whatever it is. Uh, That doesn't mean that it's legal in 50 states, but you can see already like At the Action Network, we have a show with ESPN, right? I'm doing a podcast three times a week called The Favorites in the same building that you're doing a podcast. Like CBS is doing something. Fox is doing something. Like everybody is now, because it's legal, even though it's not legal in every state, is now saying, okay, at least sort of the mouth guard has come off and we can talk about it a little bit. Hi, I'm on the road a lot. Nothing makes me happier than coming home and being able to listen to music, podcasts, and now even my TV on my new Sonos Beam. Sonos Beam is the smart, compact soundbar for my TV and the newest addition to my home sound system. It plays everything that I love. I can enjoy music, radio, movies, TV, podcasts, and more. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services. It can even use AirPlay to enjoy sound from my iPhone or my iPad. You know, my daughter has this at her home in San Francisco. I had never even heard of a full house system like Sonos. And my wife and I went there for a visit and listen, we said, this is incredible. We can listen to all things considered in any room in the house 
and we don't have to do anything. It's just there. I just think Sonos is utterly fantastic. So wait till you listen. It's brilliantly clear sound. Beam fills my living room with a rich sound. I can enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. And it's easy to set up. Beam connects to my TV with just one cord and syncs with my remote. The Sonos app makes it so easy to set up. And here's a nice surprise. Amazon Alexa is built in. I got hands-free control of my music and more. I could even start a playlist. I can skip tracks. I can pause simply by asking out loud. I can even use my voice to turn the TV on or off and adjust the volume. I can also play games. I can set reminders. I can check the news. So I connect Sonos speakers over the Wi-Fi at any time as well. You put speakers in different rooms and listen to music in one and a podcast in another. Or you can send sound from your TV everywhere in your house so you never miss a second of any action you're listening to on TV. Create the ultimate entertainment center when you pair Beam with a sub and two Sonos Ones for truly immersive surround sound. I got to tell you, I love my Sonos. What are you waiting for? Get out. Get yours today. Here's my last question. When I went from Sports Illustrated to NBC, I wanted to make, I wanted to do some new things in my column. I didn't want it to be the same column that I had done for a long time. Sure. So I considered and decided not to do a chunk of the column every week on what I had sort of thought would be something like, here's the bet I like this week. You know, whether it be looking at next week's games, maybe looking at because my column comes out on Monday, maybe I'm doing something with the Monday game or the Thursday game, or maybe something that I like next week. And I decided not to because a lot of the reason was because of what happened when I went to Reno. I just didn't have a very strong feeling about anything. Here's what so, you should do. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Tell me. What That's what I do. was going to say. What should I do? When you are making your, your Monday night pick, yeah. or when, which you have made for years, or you were thinking about the games for next week, it's not authentic for you to say, here's what I like as a better because you don't know anything about betting. So, like, it's just not going to be good for your audience. They're going to think, oh, now Peter King is just getting into the betting space, and you're not even going to know the language. Like, the reason why yeah. the reason why I've always loved betting, you know, and I wrote a book about this 20 years ago, and it's how I got into the space, is, like, I'm never, I've never been a huge better. I'm not a huge better now. But I love the psychology. I love the risk. I love the math. I love the way the conversation is sort of parallel to everything else that's happening in sports. But mostly, I just love the language. I love the way they refer to $1,000 bets as dime bets. I love the way they refer to nickel to $500 bets as nickel bets. I love the idea of sharps and wise guys and juice and vig. Like the language to me is romantic and interesting and warm. And I love to sort of hear it. It sounds nice in my ear. Um, you can't translate that in your right. column. You don't know right. what it is. So you're yeah. going to sound like a dope. Yeah. But like what you should do yeah. is say, here's what I like. And this is what I've read this week, whether you've read it at Action Network or somewhere else, or by the way, not to commercialize your column, we could feed you a nugget every week and you could say, here's what I like based on the conversations I've had. Like, that's where you can do it. And the value is in, there's so much information out there now. You don't so have in other to words, in other words, what you're saying is, what you're saying is the Eagles are playing Tampa this week. Yes. I fervently believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick's game the other day was not a fluke. I'm not saying he's going to do it again. I'm not saying he's putting 35 up on the Eagles. I don't think he is. But it was not a fluke. And the reason it wasn't a fluke is because of their weaponry. Now, if Deshaun Jackson does not come back from this concussion, I probably start thinking a little bit differently. But Deshaun Jackson, Brandon Cooks, there's a few guys who, when they're on the field, Tyreek Hill, field tilts. And, and so, but, but my only point is, if you were to say to me, 
what game do you feel good about this week to go in a certain way? Not necessarily to win or anything like that. The thing that I feel really good about is that uh, if Deshaun Jackson plays and he's normal, I don't know that the Bucks are going to beat the Eagles. I probably would not pick that. But the one thing I do think is that if Deshaun Jackson plays and is fairly healthy, the Bucks are going to score a bunch of points. So what I would say to that yeah. is you have a lot of stuff going in your favor if you were to make that bet. So the, the Bucks are a three-point underdog at home, right? Chances are... What's the over-under on the game? Well, uh, Peter, you know, I'm glad you asked. Let me look in my... Uh, <laughs> let me look at my Action Network let me, app. Let me look at my Action Network app and I'll tell you. <laughs> but what I would also tell you is yeah. that um, historically, what's going to happen is... Hold on one sec. I'm just uh, scrolling yeah. here. I can't scroll and talk at the same time. Uh, that total right now, it's at uh, 44, 43 and a half. Um, so, so, yeah, that's what's that say? Yeah, 43 and a half. Um, you might want to bet the over. But I will tell you, the majority of the public is going to bet the over. Like, that's just what's going to happen. Um, if you wanted to bet a side in that game, I have no opinion on that game. I didn't love what I saw in the Eagles. I actually feel like the Eagles are probably overrated. Yes. The Super Bowl champion is always overrated. They always get too many points in the market. The Bucks, I think they're... If this game was played a week ago, it would probably be a six-point spread, right? Because. More than that. Because maybe even more, but the Bucks beat up on the Saints. Yeah. I think the Saints. I've already bought a Saints Super Bowl ticket at eighteen yeah. to one, but they killed them. So now all of a sudden, don't forget public perception. What would the That's, what would hold be? On the, a sec, hold on a sec. Yeah. Public perception. That's the baseline for making a point spread. The 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 bookmakers know the betters are going to bet what they saw last. What they saw last was the Eagles struggle yeah, right, and right. the Bucks yeah. kill them. Right. Yeah. So you're going to get to this game. You're going to have a road favorite who's going to be getting the majority of the bets. It could be upward of 70 to 80% of the bets are going to come in on the Eagles. That is a prime spot for a home team as an underdog to cover. What's your question? Yeah. Uh, last question. I'm, I'm just curious about this. Do sports books change weekly on things like the Saints? Saints were 18 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Is that correct? Yes. What would they be this week? Would anybody change that right now? Yeah, you change it a little bit. Like what would it be now? Um, I'd have to, to I'd have to like dig in and look and okay. find it. Um, it's not going to be dramatic. Yeah, like, right, right. You know, these things don't change off of a week. Yeah. But you did see, I think, like um, somebody. I think the Steelers went from ten to one to twelve to one based on sort of how badly they looked. But also, don't forget, the bookmakers never do this based on sort of how bad a team looks. It's based on the potential liability. They make the decisions based on money. You know what I mean? And so... Well, aren't they trying to reel people in to make a bet? Sometimes, but like on futures, you don't care as much. That's really about sides and totals and Mm -hmm. week to week. Like futures bets, it's like, all right, we're putting the Rams at... at, We're putting the Saints at 18 to 1. Oh, someone came in, they bet a dime on the the Saints. We're dropping that number so we get fewer people to bet because our liability is so much higher now. Yeah. Chad... um, this is interesting. I still don't have any idea about gambling, but I appreciate you. <laughs> Listen, I you can always, if you, you really in. want to make a bet, you can call me and I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> Chad Millman, my longtime friend. He knew Laura King when she was in fifth grade. And uh, you probably, that means you knew Mary Beth King when she was in second grade. I did, yes. Wow, we amazing. played ping pong in your basement. I remember day. ping pong, yeah. Hey, anyway, I uh, really appreciate this. I'll be in touch with you many times in the future. When something happens around the NFL and gambling that I should know, but I'll have no idea about. I would be happy to tell you. It's week two of the football season, which means a second shot at victory. Bragging rights and huge cash prizes are up for grabs all season long at DraftKings, the leader in one-week fantasy sports. This weekend, DraftKings has over $2 million in total prizes, and you can play free with your first deposit to compete for your share. With one-week fantasy at DraftKings, you choose when to play. You draft a new team every week with no season-long commitment. At DraftKings, you are the GM. Just choose your players, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. No matter what your skill level is, there's a contest waiting for you at DraftKings. So, if you've been thinking about trying one-week fantasy football, now is the time to play. Because nothing makes Football Sunday more exciting than when you have a DraftKings lineup on the line. 
Download the app or go to DraftKings.com now. Use code PETERKING to enter a contest for free this weekend with your first deposit and compete for your share of over $2 million in total prizes. That's code PETERKING, only at DraftKings, the game inside the game. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And now my conversation with Bart Starr Jr. I'm here in Birmingham, Alabama at the office of Green Bay Packers legend Bart Starr. And I'm here with Bart Starr Jr. uh, to talk a little bit about the legacy of his dad, plus how his father is doing. Uh, Bart Starr suffered a series of uh, uh, strokes in 2014 and uh, has been recovering, uh, is doing very well at age 84. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit to Bart Jr. about exactly how his dad is doing. So, Bart, I, I guess I would start by asking you, what would you want all the Packer fans around the United States to know about how your dad is doing, what his condition is, and what's day-to-day life for him like now? Those separate uh, questions, I'll start with um, the fact that Packer fans around the country have been so gracious to reach out to dad through emails and texts and phone calls and even some personal meetings where individuals have driven down here. It's hard to quantify how inspirational that has been and how much strength dad has received from that. One quick example, there's a big Packers fan who was a firefighter in New York City. He lost many of his brethren on 9-11. And uh, he now lives in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And he drove all the way down here because he always wanted to spend a little time with dad. And when he got here, dad drew so much um, inspiration and admiration for what this guy had been through that it, it elevated my dad's game. And people have talked about how dad has helped these individuals. Uh, I'll, we'll run into people say, he, he's meant a lot to you or to, our, to my son or to whomever. I think I want, and I know dad would want more importantly, to make sure that it goes both ways, where dad has received so much in terms of blessings and in terms of strength and optimism from the individuals who've reached out to him, especially these last four years. As far as how he's doing, I mentioned to you when we were chatting earlier, he's doing, at, he's probably at his best level here in late August that he's been all year. And now I state that. Why do you think that is? I think it's because um, when you go through a situation such as dad did with multiple strokes, and the second one of which was a, a severe hemorrhagic stroke, we had to go through, as, as part of his family, an education process. This was new to us, too. And we have learned uh, what a stroke victim best responds to, what a stroke victim needs, what time of the day certain things should happen, when we should take him out for a little walk, when we should maybe uh, do some reading with him, uh, what sort of uh, games, uh, you know, football games he wants to watch on TV. Uh, when we should have guests over. All these little things that seem mundane and given to you and to me, Peter, uh, become an entirely new experience, and we ha- you have to adapt. And then uh, I think with each year we've learned, even though he is older by four years than when he had his strokes, I think he has learned to adjust to his new reality. So between our focus on on his needs and his ability to to better communicate what he needs Uh, you combine the two and the fact that he's a fighter and he's always trying to improve that has been a uh, a very salutary effect on on his overall situation Bert, i should say where we are right now this is one of the neatest (laughs) settings i've ever been in for an office building we're we're in your dad's offices right now in suburban Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you. And the uh, the trees, the shrubbery, the bushes, the entire place <laughs> is in tremendous deep shade to protect you from a 92-degree Alabama scorcher. Not enough shade. <laughs> yeah, not enough shade. But, but you're in just an idyllic place right now. And this has been 
your dad's office and sort of little sanctuary for some time, hasn't it? Since late 1999, we finished the building between Christmas and New Year's 1999, kind of moved in in early 2000. And uh, believe it or not, the vast majority of these trees over here on this side of this of the hill that you're looking at uh, were not there. Uh, nature's pretty amazing. It's it's even become... You didn't plant no, them? They, no, they just... all wow. by themselves. Wow. Uh, it, it, uh, nature finds a way. Yeah, I think that's an old line from Jurassic Park or something. But <laughs> it, it's, it's lovely back here. I mean, when we first moved in, I remember uh, Leanne, whom we were speaking with earlier, spotted uh, two bears over on that hill. Wow. So we are... The funny thing is, we're, what, two minutes off the interstate, and yet yeah. you'd think, just looking... Uh, that you're uh, 20 miles from anything. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really a lovely setting, and uh, we've enjoyed. And we happen to have our uh, accountants right next door. That's pretty convenient too. Wow. So this is a great location, convenient to everyone's home to boot, and really from here, Peter, we can get to about anywhere in Birmingham in 15 minutes. Right. So. And then you're what 45 minutes from Tuscaloosa. Probably a, a little bit more, maybe maybe 50 minutes or so. But it's it's uh, it's certainly less than an hour, except game day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, is does does Bart stay in touch with the Alabama program? He writes uh, letters when he can, um, and he uh, last week we went down and visited with uh, Greg Byrne, the athletic director, and uh, Greg is doing a fabulous job. Uh, he's got a lot going on if you're the athletic director at Alabama, and um, they, they could not have been more gracious. And it, it's really been several years. I think that might have been the first time since he had his strokes that he's been back down to Tuscaloosa. And I can't tell you how much good that uh, that did. You can imagine the energy level uh, with the football season about to kick off. Uh, he just ate it up. The, interestingly, when we drove back from there, that's the time of day. We drove back about 5 o'clock. He's quite tired, and Leanne and I were expecting him to fall asleep in the car. He didn't come close. He was he was alive with energy, and so it uh, it rubbed off on him. That was, yeah. that was wonderful. That's great. Uh, does he have a lot of admiration for what Nick Saban has done there? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, you know, certainly before uh, he had his strokes, and uh, and even since then, uh, you know, Dad happened to play with uh, um, a head coach. I, my, Nick Saban and Vince Lombardi may be the only coaches I'm aware of who have won five titles in less than ten years. I mean, five out of nine kind of rings a, wow. a, a bell in uh, Tuscaloosa, and it resonates in Green Bay too. And uh, the fact that uh, Coach Saban is always striving to improve rather than resting on what has occurred is uh the, now the his exact way of getting there obviously is his way of getting there uh i don't think he ever knew coach lombardi or anything like that but in each instance these these guys found a way to adapt and to, to adapt under adversity i mean alabama had a series of serious injuries last year the packers had a number of, of uh, injuries in Coach Lombardi's final year coaching when they won in 1967. So uh, Dad's admiration for him is boundless. I want to ask you uh, what your memories are. What are your memories of Green Bay? Are you talking you were, about during the during that during those years? Because you were you were obviously yeah. very very young. You know. Yes. I didn't really start going to games till I was six or uh, seven or eight years old, and uh, so I. I don't. What recall, year were you born? Uh, October of 1957. Okay. And so I don't recall the championships of 61 and 62 with too much detail. But uh, and then they had two years where they, they um, uh, did not make the the playoffs. You had to win your conference to make the playoffs back in those days. And uh, but in 65, six and 66 and 67, I remember those games vividly. And uh, so it, it's it's interesting to look back now. We would walk from our house to Lambeau Field. We lived wow. pretty close. Wow. And, uh, How long a walk was it? Probably, Twenty minutes. As the, no, no, as a crow flies, I would say it was uh, maybe not even a mile, maybe wow. about a mile. So what? Ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. And we would just walk through these fields to Lambeau Field, go to the game, and come back. And most of the time, we'd go, "Well, we won," <laughs> <laughs> not understanding how competitive the National Football League is. And you how were, special you, that was. You wouldn't walk on streets. There would be you'd like walk through fields to and, get and, there. Oh, you, there, the, the, those areas, those fields have now been developed into residential yeah. communities, but. Sure, a little bit of a little bit of. Uh, Is your side. house still there? Were oh, you? absolutely. Sixteen twenty-four yeah. Chateau Drive. Wow. And uh, not far from Lambeau Field. Have you driven past it on your trips to oh, Green Bay? Oh, many times when my friends go up there, they want to know where where we grew up, and that was through fifth grade. And um, my my closest friend in Green Bay that I've known since I was three years old, he lived right across the street from us, so we'd go there. And uh, you know, some of those games you know stand out, whether it's the ice bowl game or even some that were a little bit earlier than that, and. Um, 
you, you look back on that now and say, how fortunate were you as a kid to experience that? But in Green Bay, it is you know, so distinct from other cities in that it's probably the closest to a college atmosphere you could get. Right. You've been up there. I remember seeing you one time in, uh, I think it was Nicky's. Uh, Nicky's Lionhead, Lion yeah. In, in, yeah. In De Pere. A good friend of mine owns that, Tom Nick. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you got a sense of it up there. And, and so, uh, but when the only, it was, it was amazing to go through that, but obviously you wish you, you could have a greater appreciation because when you're eight, nine, and 10 years old and you keep winning all these games and, and then championships, uh, it, it almost became. Uh, expected when and then you realize you say looking back on it you say that's astonishing what we lived through support for peter king comes from our friends at rocket mortgage by quicken loans america's premier home purchase lender let's talk about buying a home it can be one of your most important purchases of your life But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for a new home. Then, once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started... Go to rocketmortgage.com slash king. That's rocketmortgage.com slash king. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparisons to public data records. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org. Number 3030. Do you, uh, the day of the Ice Bowl, I'm curious, as a kid, you probably were excited about the game, but part of you had to have thought, there's no way I can sit out in this for three hours. My mom and dad didn't talk about it too much. I mean, I remember going outside to, um, and going across the street to see my friend Steve, and it was pretty stunning, because the day before it was fine. We were playing football in the streets and the yards and all that, it was, I don't know, 25, 26 degrees. It was a beautiful day given the fact that the day before was December 30th. when, it, And then um, on New Year's Eve, uh, I remember my mom got us these, uh, they're sort of like miniature sleeping bags. And she just said, you guys are going to have to just figure out a way to stay warm. But didn't, she didn't make that big a deal about it. Right. She just figured, we're kids, we can adapt. And um, we did. But uh, where did you sit for the game? In the wrong end zone. Oh, <laughs> the, the opposite end zone. <laughs> we were up on, kind of looking down at the north end zone. So we had to kind of, of course, we were looking at the play when Dad scored, but we were almost looking with, as intently at the fans down there to see their reaction because we had no angle. Yeah. But um, and I remember what they didn't have a replay board in those days. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now Lambo was a. A little bit, you know, more basic back then, and uh, it's it's you know a glorious structure now. <laughs> it was literally just a metal stadium back in those days. Yeah, uh, what a, what an amazing memory that was. And then we were fortunate enough to go into the locker room afterwards, and I uh, remember you'd think there would be jubilation. It was almost just relief that it was over. Later on, I found out why that a lot, a lot of the players were thinking you know, we almost you know mentally and physically had to just survive to have a chance to win. Imagine you're from Dallas coming up and trying to play in this. And that's why I think one of the most amazing things about that that game that I've read about is that Vince Lombardi basically said, listen, the field goal obviously made a lot more sense. You know, but no, he had no footing to just try to score a touchdown. Exactly. And so and so the field goal made a lot more sense. And and yet his whole attitude was we got to get out of here. We, we, I mean, this, we, we got to end this thing right now. It was so bad. My mom and I have even discussed, Peter, whether 
they would play a game such as that. I mean, if it's if you wake up and it's 19 or 20 below, and at kickoff it's 13 below, and then it gets back to 20 below, and and it's windy, would the NFL subject players and fans to those conditions? I, I don't know the answer to that. I know when they played the Super Bowl up in New York several years ago, I think it was the Broncos and the Seahawks. Right. I think they had contingency plans in case of a snowstorm to even yeah. delay the game. Was it a few days or a week or whatever? Right. I said, well, I think nowadays they might wonder about that because, I mean, Dad still has frostbite. The, the Cowboys, Does he have frostbite from that game? Yes. Wow. It's, it's not horrendous, but when it gets really cold, his fingers, they, they get very, very tingly and, and wow. kind of like, like there are needles in them. Wow. He's had that ever since that game. Wow. 51 years ago. Do you think, uh, have you ever asked him, was it worth it? Oh, that game? Yeah. No, no. I uh, to to them that was uh, part of what they did, and and um, I never I never uh, broached that subject. Like, was it worth you know enduring all of that? I do wish, from his perspective, that they had had these gloves that had the good tactile sensation to right. them, where he could have still been able to throw the ball without exposing his hands to that. But no, I think. Um, I guess if you asked, you know, the players on the Cowboys, and and you know they fought back and did, you know took the lead in the game. Uh, would it be was it worth it? It, it would be a, a tougher question to ask because I mean they they got there and then they were subjected to such brutal conditions and then they looked like they were going to win. You know, one's opinion might be shaped by the outcome. Right, right. Um, Bart, I I do want to touch on your dad's relationship with Aaron Rodgers and admiration of Aaron Rodgers. Um, it seems quite touching, you know, how much how much of a mutual admiration there is that flows between the two men. How did that start with your father, and what what is it about Aaron Rodgers that he admires? I think there are several things. First, I remember the, the initial exposure we had to Aaron was watching the NFL draft in 2005, I believe it was, when right. it came. And everybody knows a story about how Aaron went from potentially the number one pick to 22 or wherever the Packers drafted that year, I forget. And um, we were curious as to you know what our, our draft pick would be. And they were they were focusing on Aaron when when Aaron uh, had an interview or two. Uh, even then, he was poised and under control, and that was under duress. I mean, remember? Right. Imagine the disappointment he must have been feeling. Yeah. Dad knew about disappointment. I mean, he, he had a good career at Alabama, cut short by injury and then a change of coaching staff, and then he got drafted very late in, in the 1956. Aaron gets drafted much later than he thought he was going to, and yet there was something about Aaron that you could see he, he, he didn't lose his confidence in himself. And then Aaron had more of a challenge playing behind Brett Favre and there was sitting was, for three years for three years that's exactly right and yet there was not anything that that uh, came from Aaron other than support and that had to be a tense situation but Aaron knew his time would come and it eventually did uh, dad went through a similar situation he did not play frequently in his first several years it wasn't until coach Lombardi got there in 1959 so 56 57 and 58 so already there were some parallels in terms of you know, dad having to wait for a while to get the right situation for him, which was the, a coach that was looking for a field general. Aaron having to wait until uh, it was time for the Packers to um, install him as the starter. And then watching, uh, from an athletic standpoint, watching Aaron, how he makes such quick, intelligent decisions. People, when they, when they see a gifted player such as Aaron, they'll make a, an assumption that is actually not correct. They say, well, that's just, he's such, he's such a natural looking athlete. He, he, he makes good decisions. He just, he has a feel for the game. They don't know that that level of poise and that level of success comes from preparation. And dad was uh, very much committed with his, especially with his close friend, Zeke Bratkowski, to looking at every detail that they could in terms of understanding the opponent. That's one of the reasons besides the fact that Aaron is exceedingly intelligent is he doesn't probably get enough credit for how well prepared he is. And that's something that dad admires. What he admires most, however, is what Aaron has done off the field. Aaron quietly helps many, many groups. 
There's a, a few that are well known in Milwaukee, but Aaron does a lot of things. He has helped us with some charitable endeavors and nobody even knows about him. Uh, he does lots of little things where he doesn't, Aaron's not the kind of guy who seeks that sort of attention. And when you get a guy who is a, as accomplished on the field as he is, but in dad's view is an even better human being, you can't help but have admiration. And dad has spoken about that many, many times. In terms of being a quarterback, I saw your dad once said that Aaron can throw the ball backwards better than <laughs> I could ever throw it forward. When he watches Aaron, particularly early on when I would assume you could have some real good football discussions about how oh, he's sure. playing, the, the kind of football player he is, what would your dad think? Well, you just touched on one thing. Uh, some of the throws that Aaron made uh, in the, uh, for example, in the Super Bowl when the Packers beat the, the Steelers that year out in Dallas, I mean, Aaron was throwing the ball into some windows that were exceedingly tight. I mean, they were, and he, he nearly connected on a, a long pass early in the second half. To, I believe it was to James Jones. It just went off James's hands. It would have been an yeah. 80-yard touchdown. Um, Aaron's ability to rise to the occasion and keep his focus and, and, um, and use fundamentals to enhance his physical skills allows him to make throws that other people can't even as you've seen on the, on the run. I mean, Aaron, Aaron may be by far the best passer on the run that my dad has ever seen. He's commented on that numerous times. And, um, and then, but yet he doesn't abuse his talent. And what I mean by that is Aaron's skill set is so good, it would be understandable if he made some undisciplined throws. I mean, you could say, right. well, look, how, look, I mean, naturally he would uh, attempt something like that. But yet Aaron has one of the, if not the lowest interception rate Ever because he understands the big picture that as as talented as he is and as much as he can carry a team, it still is a team sport, and he does not want to do things to put the team in an awkward position due to carelessness. So he's not only hyper-talented, he is one of the most disciplined players you'll ever see, and that's a combination you don't see too, too often. Don't you think that... Obviously, you're a tad prejudiced in this regard, but don't you think that one of the reasons your dad probably likes and admires Aaron Rodgers as much as a football player and a human being is because maybe deep down inside he sees a lot in himself in Aaron Rodgers? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and the fact that you know Aaron has risen to the occasion in, uh, in playoff games so many times I mean whether you can just cite so many examples and uh, and other big games uh, dad always felt that was the mark of a, a, a leader at the quarterback position is everybody's going to wonder how we're going to going to uh, play in these ball games and you, you look at even go back to the 2009 season uh, when the Packers got in, into the playoffs for the first time under Aaron and they almost made a comeback for the ages against the Arizona Cardinals. It was just yeah. an unbelievable game, and um, you know, then the, you know the next year they get into the playoffs and run the table. And they've had some uh, some situations that didn't work out at the end of games because of some unusual circumstances, like the game in Seattle several years ago, right. and so forth. But there's Aaron playing and unable to run. Because of the torn calf muscle, yeah. It, uh, Dad, I, I know when we were watching that, um, I had to recall the fact that he he had a, a game that he was unable to lift his arm very very well. We uh, in 1965 championship game, they beat the Cleveland Browns the week before he had broken ribs, and I remember all week he he literally could not get his arm up there, and he my mom kept saying he's not going to be able to play. Your dad won't be able to play, and Dad said, you know, I'll figure out a way. And uh, Aaron has, you know, demonstrated toughness and focus and 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 leadership when it matters most. So he, he, there's and and the fact that Aaron comes from humble beginnings too, right? You know, where he, not a lot of people wanted him. You know, uh, when he was trying to just get into a big college program, not a lot of people wanted Dad coming out of college. I mean, there's there's some similarities and. Uh, I think Dad and Aaron, you know, always played with a little chip on their shoulder, wanting to to exceed what other people thought they could. Don't you think it's kind of uh, it, it's kind of a cool thing that 
the 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 quarterback of the first fifty years <laughs> in the history of the Green Bay Packers yes. could have a relationship and uh, sort of a mutual admiration society with the quarterback who leads the Packers into their second century as we go forward now. You know what? The year that Aaron was drafted, 2005, uh, my dad back then was still involved in a charitable golf outing in Milwaukee called the Vince Lombardi Memorial Golf Classic, raised money for cancer research in honor of Coach Lombardi. And Aaron showed up at that. That was that had to be a month or two after he was drafted. He didn't have to go to that. And he showed up. And he reached out and and made that appearance. And I think that really touched mom and dad that this young man right out of California would take the time to, to go there. And from that point on, I remember dad said, you know, I, I want to do whatever I can to talk to him, to listen to him, to spend time with him. And uh, because he sensed that there was something about him. Of course, Aaron wanted to be a terrific player, but he sensed that he wanted to do something and use that platform as a way to help society. How much over the years would you say they have talked, particularly before his strokes? Before his strokes, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know because, you know, Dad wouldn't advertise that even to yeah. us. Right. But I, I sensed that it was several times a year that they would uh, reach out. But I think Dad also you know, tried to be respectful of the fact that everybody wanted Aaron's time. And so just on occasion, he would send him a text message. He would ask us to help him with that <laughs> <laughs> or call him and um, and just let him know. I think it, they got it about right. Often enough that they are able to strengthen their relationship and and be there for each other, but not too often that Aaron felt like he had... Uh, had had to you know speak to us some other people. I think Dad was has tried to be deferential to him because you can imagine how many directions Aaron gets pulled in. It's kind of yeah. interesting when you think about it that there's probably only three people on the planet who know what it's like to be right. Bart Starr. You know, there's Bart Starr, there's Brett Favre, there's Aaron Rodgers. That's it to be the to have the the. I mean, and it was different in your dad's day because okay. the, it wasn't the monolithic gigantic corporation of the NFL and everything but I will say this they were the Green Bay Packers they were the biggest thing in sports at that time the Packers and the Yankees that was it that's right those are the two things Lombardi (laughs) really put the Packers on the map so there's only three of those people Star Favre Rogers so he's in a pretty exclusive club well it's funny that um you know dad always had a, a great relationship with with both of them. Yeah. And you have three people from three different backgrounds, three different styles, and, and, and three different ways of playing the game, but that one level of commonality that is, as you said, that's a pretty exclusive club. Quarterbacks who have won championships with Green Bay and all of whom will wind up in the Hall of Fame. So that's, uh, I think someone put something together recently and said, is that the best quarterback trio ever? It's, it has to be. It has to be. I think so. I mean, who who else could compete? I mean, Aikman, Staubach, but then what? Romo? I mean, it's just, this has to be the greatest triumvirate in, in any franchise ever. It's uh, it's it's awfully strong. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's very, very special to all of them, I know. Bart, listen, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, we appreciate you uh, you hosting us and our crew down here. I'll be listening to it before the uh, but was it before the Packers Bears game? All right, I'll be there. Oh, you'll be at the I game. I'll be at the game. Good. I've got some friends of mine who've never gone, and uh, they, you know, everybody who goes to Green Bay just cannot believe how how welcomed they are, even if they're affiliated with the other yeah. team. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you my Lambeau Field story. So I'd been covering the Packers for quite a while. This is in the kind of the the Favre heyday days. Sure. And I knew Brett really well. And uh, so my daughter really wanted to go. She was a big athlete in high school. Okay. She was maybe a sophomore in high school at the time, and she desperately wanted to go. So she went to a game. It was in December. And so somebody from the Packers had said, and because I, I said, listen, I've never walked through the tailgaters on Sunday. And, I, I, and I'm going to do that. We're going to come about three hours early. And so he said, listen, just 
walk through and talk to people. That's all you should do. And I guarantee you that by the time you get in the stadium, you will not eat anything the rest of the day. <laughs> That's true. And I remember those words. They were in my head. And my daughter, we had so much cheese. We had Polish sausages. We had everything just walking around and just saying, hey, this is my daughter, Mary Beth. She's this is her first game ever at Lambeau Field. And people were so excited, like welcoming in her, welcoming her into the club. Hey, you're at Lambeau now, you know. Uh, that's you hear those stories all the time and it, they never grow old and that's one of the special things about going there is you feel like your family pretty quickly how about what jerry rice once said about lambo yeah. they beat the packers one time and they're coming off the field and uh and they're going into the thing and he said normally you might expect to get you know maybe an apple core or something coming in but he said all we heard was Hey, good luck the rest of the season, guys. <laughs> and he said, "Where are we?" <laughs> well, Jerry yeah. Rice, you know, had to elicit respect from everybody. And, yeah. but, but that is you know, a good illustration of how the Packers uh, treat and, and treat uh, not only the you know, opposing players but everybody who comes into the town. It's a it, it, that is a celebration that that little city can still host meaningful events like this. So. We, uh, well, Jerry, Jerry Rice won't be back, but the 49ers will this year. <laughs> that'll be a great that'll be a great show. Uh, Garoppolo against Rogers Monday night. Wow, I know. Hey, so, Bart, thank you so much. My pleasure. Happy to do it. Thanks to my guests Chad Millman and Bart Starr Jr. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Chris Mortensen, and Joe Buck. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, DraftKings, Sonos, and Rocket Mortgage. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.